BHH Productions presents KB Cabaret, an original variety show, with your host, Bree Harvey. Hi folks, and welcome to KB Cabaret. My name is Bree Harvey, head writer and producer of this show. KB Cabaret is a calabaloo of original skits, songs, poetry, and short stories. What's Calabaloo, you ask? Magic, from a child's creative imagination. I was five when I coined that word, and it's been around my family ever since. The settings originate from my hometown, Parlor City. And the stories originate from people who Who are a product of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents either are products of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously. Any resemblance to actual events, locales, or persons living or dead is entirely coincidental. Thank you, Kate. That, folks, obviously, is my lawyer. Starring my friends, the Parlor City Players, Judy McMahon, Kate Murray, Molly Murray, Charles Berman, Pete Bowers, John Carey, John Montgomery, Bill Murray, and me, your host, Bree Harvey. Welcome to our town, welcome to Parlor City, where our friends come, come out to play. Don't leave, they stay and chat a while. Welcome to our town, to KB Cabaret. This week on KB Cabaret, our musical guest is our own producer, Bree Harvey, who presents four songs with a Christmassy theme, video produced and edited by Dave Rice. This week's program is brought to you by Le Chien, the restaurant with dog-scriminating taste. Welcome to our time to KB Cabaret. Hey, it was great meeting you. How about we go out to dinner some night? I'd love to. How about Friday? Oh, great. I'll pick you up at... Seven. Um, you can't pick me up at seven. Why not? Well, you see, I have this fear of odd numbers. You're kidding, right? No, really. I have a phobia about odd numbers. They freak me out. I can't deal with them at all. Okay, I get it. This is a character test. You want to check my reaction and see what kind of guy I really am. If I act all sympathetic and lovey-dovey, you'll know I'm the kind of guy you want to go out with. That's it, right? No. It's got nothing to do with that. I can't stand odd numbers, that's all. Why don't you pick me up at six? Well, I can't pick you up at six. Why not? Because I have a fear of numbers divisible by three. Oh, yeah? Well, here's another thing I have a phobia about. Jerks. Like you. No, really. Numbers divisible by three make me break out in a rash. Look at my neck, see? Oh, I'm sorry. How about I pick you up at eight? You're not just making fun of me? No, I really want to go out with you. Okay. Eight o'clock. I live at 1278 Warner Drive. It's an even number. 1278? Let me check that out on the calculator. Oh, no, that's no good. It's divisible by three. Can't you wait for me across the street? No, that side has odd numbers. Oh, yeah, I forgot. 
I could go next door. Hmm. Oh, perfect. I'll be there at eight. We can go to dinner and then back to my place. I'd love that. Oh, wait. There's another problem. What now? I've gone out with ten different guys in my life. So? So if I go out with you, you'll be my eleventh. That's an odd number. Well, how do we fix that? Maybe you could bring along another guy. He and I can go for a quick drink, and then I'll go out with you. You'll be my twelfth. Well, that'll ruin it for me. Twelve is divisible by three. I'm starting to itch. Could you bring two guys? No. Then I'll be your thirteenth. Odd number. I got it. Bring three guys. I'll have a drink with all three of them, and then we can go out. I'm beginning to have a phobia about this whole idea. Come on, please, for me. Uh, all right, let me check. Ten plus three is thirteen. Then I'll be your fourteenth, like King Louis the Fourteenth. Even number, not divisible by three. I think that'll work. There's three guys over there. Go ask them. Hey guys, I have a proposition for you. I can't do it. Fourteen is the square root of one ninety-six, and that's my unlucky number. I'm out too. Roman numerals. Fourteen is XIV. Spelled backwards, it's VIX. Six makes me sneeze. What about you? You're my last hope. Sorry, sunspots.、Uh, everybody has issues these days. Looks like the numbers just don't add up for us. Oh come on, we can make this work. Can't you just forget your foolish phobia for one night? My foolish phobia? Yours is way more stupid than mine. Odd <laughs> numbers. You're the one who's odd. Pig, you could go to hell. Three times, six times, nine times. Ah! This itching is killing me. Oh, and one more thing. Ha! That's an odd number. Mornings are a special time for me. My rituals are simple: a good cup of coffee, soft classical music, and a little daily feature in our local newspaper called "Advice with Granny Ada." And now, KB Cabaret presents "Advice with Granny Ada," Parlor City's cherished advice columnist. Dear Granny Ada. Over a year ago, I lost my office job at a well-known accounting firm, and I've been forced to live with my mother in her two-bedroom home. My father moved over twenty years ago when I was fifteen, so mom lives alone. I'm having a hard time adjusting to home living. Granny Ada, she still thinks I'm a teenager, listens to my phone calls, waits up for me at all hours of the night, and does my laundry. I've gained ten pounds since I moved back because of all the meals she feeds me, and even has the nerve to complain when I play video games on her TV or bring girls home for overnight stays. I'm having a hard time making ends meet now that I work part time at a retail store, practically making minimum wage, so I'm stuck living at her place. I feel like I've sold my freedom in exchange for rent-free living. How do I deal with my mother and her controlling ways? Signed, sold my soul. Dear Solus, how delightful! A grown man of twenty-five living at home with mommy. You are a gem. 
getting free room and board and laundry service does not seem like an arduous situation to me. You complain of your ten-pound weight gain and Mommy's annoying attitude? Well, dear, I do not believe she is annoying enough. Obviously, you have time to make phone calls, play video games, and other extracurricular activities, indicating you have way too much time on your hands. Maybe if you got your butt off the couch and got two or more part-time minimum wage paying jobs, you'd make ends meet and lose those ten unwanted pounds. My advice is save, save, save. You're fortunate to have your mother cook clean and not charge you for your stay. Within a few months, you'll be able to get an apartment of your own. However, my suspicions are you like Mommy taking care of you. Reverting back to your childhood safety net. Then, my dear, arguing is the price of this fine arrangement. Good luck, honey, and thank you for writing. Have a nice day. Granny Ada. here, Beulah, just doing my show. Ladies and gentlemen, Parlor City's chef extraordinaire, Beulah Deschamps. Oh, thank you, dear. Thank you. I have to apologize for acting so <laughs> spirited on your show lately. Oh, Beulah, I know how difficult your life has been. I know, I know. My husband Leon and I have been having problems, but there is no excuse for bad behavior. Have you been seeing a counselor like I suggested, Beulah? Yes, dear, I have. And even though Leon cannot make the sessions, the counselor has done wonders for me. I'm learning to let go. And the AA meetings? Well, dear, I have been going, but I don't feel I belong there. Well, how many times have you gone, Beulah? Enough times to realize the holidays are coming and we need to make turkey. I'm sorry, how did we go from AA to turkey? It takes 12 steps to make the perfect turkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. What a segue. <laughs> so I brought this Tom over to prepare. Oh, he's huge. Do you know what makes the turkey tender? I never gave it much thought. Well, most people don't think about it, but some think the distinction between the genders makes the meat more tender. You can generally guess the sex by their weight. If they are over 18 pounds, they are toms. If they are under 16, they are hens. In between 16 and 18, it could be anybody's guess. So you're leading me to believe it's not the gender that makes the turkey meat more tender? That's right, dear. It's the age. Now, let's sit down and make a list of all the things we need to do so that old Tom here will be done up just right. Okay. Okay, get ready, dear. As with any great pairing, one has to prepare and enjoy the subtle nuances of life. That is what I always knew, and my marriage counselor also reinforced. So that is why I brought this lovely Spanish garnacha to start us off on. Mueller, this is red wine. I know, dear, but the festivities are not the time to stop drinking. Besides, I told you AA is not for me. Well, not yet anyway, dear. But the twelve steps have brought me to submit to my higher power. 
This lovely garnacha is chock full of lovely red fruits of strawberry, raspberry, and candied hibiscus. Nothing matches Tom and his cranberries like this ruby red. Have a little glass with me to toast to the beginning of the holiday season, dear. Okay, Beulah, I'll have half a glass to celebrate the holidays. That's the girl. Here's a half a glass for you and a nice healthy glass for me. Here's to the holidays. Ah, oh, isn't that nice? I have to admit it is. So, Beulah, let's get down to it. What are the 12 steps? Well, the wine is number one. <laughs> uh, number two is to defrost for at least 24 hours, unless you have my preference of fresh turkey. Step three is to brine if the turkey is fresh. Sure, no? Okay, then. Step four is to have another glass of wine. Wait, let's go back to step three. What do you mean to brine if the turkey is fresh? Well, if you get a frozen turkey, it is already preserved with at least 8% salt. That gives the old bird flavor. But if you have a fresh turkey like I do at home, you have to salt it up to give it a boost. So go ahead and soak him in a nice tub of salty water solution. I like to cool off old Tom in the 10-gallon cooler on the porch. Just pour in a gallon water, one-half cup of kosher salt, two-thirds cup dark brown sugar, and a bag of ice. Swoosh it around and put Tommy Boy into the solution and leave him there for 24 hours. Now repeat step four. No more, dear? Oh, well. Now to step five. After you've socked the turkey, just fake him out of the tub and proceed to butter him up. Are you taking notes, dear? Why are we buttering up the turkey? Uh, is it this because... This makes the skin soft and eventually will be crispy. Ah, so now on to step six. <laughs> That's where we stuff the old goat's innards with herbs and vegetables. I would say that we could use a little rosemary, but already stuffed a lot with rosemary at an office party, so let's use bay leaves, onion, turnips, carrots squash, and threw a fat apple into the old coot. <laughs> now in step seven, we have another lovely glass of wine. <laughs> Repeat step eight, and happy holidays. <laughs> uh, Beulah, Beulah. Uh, uh, um, now for step, uh, oh, uh, what number are we at? Nine. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, bake the bastard for all he's got and tie his legs so he can't run. Turn him every hour just to brown him really well. <laughs> and then step ten, slap him with divorce papers and throw him on his back. <laughs> Beulah, maybe you, maybe you need to lie down. Boys, Beulah, boys, will you please? <laughs> but not before pouring steps eleven and twelve into my holiday cheery gash. <laughs> and a couple of fat, fat pears in the frickin' tree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I would like to thank Beulah Deschamps for leaving us in high holiday spirits. To be fair, we will post Beulah's recipe on our website at kbcabaret.com. That's K-B-K-A-B-A-R-E-T dot com.
And now, two men we found on the streets claiming they could do one-liners. Monty and Carrie. I just told my wife, you can't buy an inch of time with an inch of gold. Wow, that's profound. What did she say? I'll give you two minutes to give back the 20 you took from my purse. I can't stand my mother-in-law. Oh, no. The fat is in the fire now. Why? Did she stand too close to the stove again? My grandfather used to say, depend on your walking stick, not on other people's. Did your grandfather have a walking stick? Nah, he just likes saying things. From the unpublished manuscript of John Samuel Heasley, a poem titled, Pretty Soon. Pretty soon the fog will roll up and over the hill as it always does. Pretty soon the morning star will fade a little sooner each day. Pretty soon an array of color will burst across our homeland. Pretty soon they will wither and die to be whisked away by the winds. Pretty soon, winter will come. This season is always special to me, maybe because of all the baking. It makes me sing a happier tune. Guess why that's why I wrote The Magic of Christmas. Peace of the time Forget about it 
The following story was a submission by one of our listeners. This is a Christmas memory from Rosemary Pysuk called The Real Thing. The Real Thing. Some people have an inner glow that warms their bodies and creates a bubbly cauldron of easily displayed emotions. They can flash that I'm a Miss America contestant smile and hold on to it from sea to shining sea. I'm not one of those people. As I bemoaned the number of times I've been asked, don't you ever smile? Close friend rather curtly offered, you don't smile because you were never a kid. You were born acting like an adult and never regressed. Oh my, the adult in me said, she's right. While I knew it was too late to save me, I vowed I would never let it happen to my children. Did I immediately begin saving for a Disney vacation so that after our visit, Disney could build yet another kingdom? Did I shop on Black Friday to buy more presents than there was room for under the Christmas tree? Did I spend stupid money on infant-sized designer clothes? Hush, gosh, by gosh, no. I followed the advice of a young man who lived up the road. To give your kids a positive childhood experience, just be there, he said. Be there, I asked. Yes, be there. He further explained, My brother and I were good athletes while in school, yet never did anything positive with our talents. I felt we could have been more successful in my life, and my dad done more than just drop us off at our practices and games. Too many parents today expect someone else to raise their kids for them. Babysitters, grandparents, teachers, coaches, even their friends. Just remember this. They're your kids. You need to be there for them. That sounded like a piece of cake. Yet how many cakes had I seen fallen after baking? <laughs> Nonetheless, my husband's last name was translated from Polish to English, meaning little stove. From that day forward, Mr. Littlestove and I became a team dedicated to being there for our kids. We attended church services regularly as a family. We sat down to dinner daily as a family. When it came to monitoring homework, watching television, attending school functions, coaching, sports, etc., we both took call 24-7. When these activities seemed too adult-like, I let my creative juices flow. We lived on a busy country road with no sidewalks and no kids. During the summer, and whenever there was no school, I invited the closest young'uns to spend the afternoon with my children. Now that I'm not crafty, there was no such thing as iPads and Pinterest back then. But I did, and still do, like sweets. I would always try to pre-plan some type of activity that everyone, despite their slight age differences, would enjoy. My daughter Pam was the youngest of the group, while Jenny, whose grandmother lived next door, was the oldest. I was quick to realize my little group was incredibly talented in making ice cream sundaes, homemade pretzels, and various sizes, shapes, and kinds of cookies. I started to make very simple awards for everyone before they left. Most creative, most unusual, most edible, and best effort. You know, pretty much like the awards given today on those TV award shows. The kids ultimately formed a club, 
and took over a newly purchased storage shed in which to hold their meetings. My husband, Mr. Little Stove, was not happy about losing his storage shed. But my kids had their very own clubhouse, and smiles were shining brightly. We made room for the lawnmower and all the garden tools in the garage. A smile can often say more than words. I was totally committed to creating smiles, even if I didn't have one. So while most of the post-war baby boomers considered themselves hip by telling their kids that Santa Claus wasn't real, I lay away nights composing notes and planning events to ensure my kids would believe for as long as possible. The year we lost our dog, I put a pound puppy, a once popular toy, under the tree and told the kids it was left by Santa's elves to help us feel better. I would write notes on Christmas Eve and sign them, pretending to be one of Santa's elves. I even once decorated the tree after the kids fell asleep and told them the elves had done it to help me. (laughs) Lord knows I wish they had. I wanted my children to feel in their hearts that wondrous magic and joy created so long ago in Bethlehem on the night of baby Jesus' birth. As the years swiftly passed, I found myself becoming very good at dodging bullets that could easily turn smiles into frowns. One year in particular proved to be the most challenging. It started as early as January. The club had gotten together because school was not in session. I remember taking Jenny home. When we entered her house, Michael, my son, spotted a rather unique barn about the size of the dollhouse. When we got home, Michael announced he would like a barn like Jenny's for Christmas that year. The next time I saw Jenny's mom, I asked her about the barn. She gave me a smile and didn't say anything for what seemed like forever. So I repeated my question. Where did you get Jenny's barn? I really can't say. It's been in my family for years. The only person who might know is your next-door neighbor, my mom. I'll be sure to ask her for you. We called our next-door neighbor, Aunt Bert, even though she wasn't a relative. It just seemed the most respectful way for us to address her. She would always have a supply of donuts for Michael, candy for Pam, and a cup of coffee for me, and a six-pack expensive beer for my husband every time he cut the lawn for her. So that I could make dinner without interruption, she would often invite the kids over to watch Scooby-Doo. Just shortly after my conversation with Carol, Aunt Bert's daughter, I received the news that my dear friend and neighbor Aunt Bert had been hospitalized. We knew she had battled cancer multiple times. Now she faced her final battle. While the winter continued to send its cold blasts our way, the worst blast of cold hit us when we lost Aunt Bert. I totally forgot about Jenny's barn. As Christmas drew near, the challenges increased. My sister-in-law entered some radio Christmas contest and won. Not only a phone call, but also a gift from Santa. This was a single phone call from Santa to my son. My daughter, not included. How was I to explain that Santa would not be calling her? I knew he was a phony, but my kids didn't. Was this the demise of my hard work? I persuaded a friend to call my daughter, pretending to be Santa. She bought it. (sighs) Now the hard part. The single gift. Santa was explicit during his phone conversation with my son. The second Saturday of December, we were 
to arrive at the savings bank and patiently await a turn on Santa's knee to receive a special chosen gift. Great. No gift for my daughter and a phony Santa with a gift for my son. I called the radio station, explaining my dilemma. I was lucky they didn't send the men with white coats out for me. They ultimately agreed to a drop-off. I was allowed to sneak a gift for my daughter into Santa's sack before the other children arrived. Now I needed a story as to why there are multiple Santas handing out gifts in banks. Listen, that Santa is going to be in the bank? He is not the real Santa. He is one of Santa's helpers, sort of like a spy. He reports back to Santa. <laughs> Apparently you guys have been especially good this year. That's why Santa called. One of his helpers said you deserved a bonus. So Santa's having one of his helpers deliver your bonuses at the bank on Saturday. They bought it. <laughs> the following week, a cousin called with what she considered great news. I was able to get tickets for you and the kids to have breakfast with Santa in the department store downtown. I could have sworn I heard yet another bullet whizzing past my ears. I hung up the phone. I was convinced the kids would hit me with Santa questions I simply couldn't answer. But there was no bullet. The day of breakfast, I came home wearing a smile. He was, in a word, awesome. The beard and hair were real and an opulent pearly color. The complexion ruddy, yet didn't appear to be makeup or alcohol-induced. <laughs> His suit was of luscious red velvet that wondrously draped his corpulent frame. He caught my eyes once. My blood literally froze. It was a look that said, You're not smiling, and I know why. Each of the kids had his, her turn on Santa's lap. During Michael's turn, Santa admonishingly said, Look at your mom. She's not smiling. You've been giving her a hard time lately. I want that type of behavior to stop. I know you can be a good boy when you want to be. Ho, 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 ho. My daughter didn't get a lecture. She'd been ill that day with one of her chronic ear infections. She whispered what she wanted for Christmas in Santa's ear and was sent on her way. When we were out of Santa's earshot, Michael's eyes ballooned. He said, Mom, that wasn't one of those helpers. He's the real Santa. I just hope he forgives me. You really have been yelling a lot at me lately. He knew all about it. I really felt bad. Pam didn't hesitate to add, You know something, Mom? He's just like Coke. Coke? I replied. Yeah, Coke. You know, the real thing. It was now just a week before Christmas. I'd done little to no shopping. As usual, my husband began to question what I was planning for gifts. Didn't Michael want a barn? I nodded. I shopped that night, relieved to find most of what I needed. I got each of the kids a record album, Scooby-Doo for Michael, and Strawberry Shortcake for Pam. Pajamas, sweatshirts, sweatpants, and socks were easy finds. Of course, all the purple stuff for Pam was gone. She had to settle for red. To this day, she still looks spectacular in red. I 
bought a painfully small, totally plastic, famously brand name toy barn. I managed to smile when I landed that last sweet secret doll that transformed into a hairbrush for Pam. When it was time to tuck in the kids that Christmas Eve, I wasn't smiling. I knew Michael would be disappointed. He might even think Santa was still upset with him. I didn't expect Santa to make it that night. It had snowed. Our country road was one of the last to be plowed. Shortly after the kids fell asleep, our phone unexpectedly rang. My husband answered, saying, Yes, I can meet you at the holding point in five minutes. Yeah, I have a pickup truck. He walked out the door, but returned in a flash. You won't believe what's in the back of my truck, he said. I looked out the window. The snow had stopped. There... In the back of our pickup truck was a spectacular red barn about as tall as Pam. It was totally handcrafted out of wood and finished off with real roof shingles. My husband then left once again, explaining that he had a new two-wheel bicycle to deliver to Jenny's house and that he needed Jenny's dad to help him unload Michael's barn. It was just as large as it was heavy, yet we did have room for it in our downstairs family room. It was almost time for my kids to wake up for their Christmas Day surprise by the time my husband, Mr. Little Stove, cooled off, telling me all the sizzling details of his encounters with Santa. He began by telling me that Santa apologized for not wanting to be able to deliver our gifts in the past few years. He said he often had difficulty for one reason or another, but knew he could always count on us to be there as his backup. He was actually driving a tractor-trailer tonight to make his deliveries and didn't even have his red suit on. My husband further explained that he recognized him from the picture I had taken with both of the kids at the department store. His talk continued. He actually considers you as one of the honorary elves because you do such a good job at writing notes for the children. He knew this year that things were different and that he just had to come through for us. He couldn't drive the tractor-trailer onto a road, something about heavy load restrictions. That's why he asked me to meet him so that I could deliver Jenny's bicycle and Michael's barn for him. Oh, I almost forgot. He also wanted me to give you this envelope. Feeling lightheaded from all of this, my adult brain suggested this was probably a gift certificate to our dentist to keep smiles looking bright and shiny. <laughs> Silly me. Inside was a note with specific instructions to contact our local dog shelter. Six beagle puppies had been dropped off on Christmas Eve. The smallest female was to be adopted as a new member of our family. When I finished reading the note, my husband smiled and said, Santa suggested we name the puppy Coco. When I asked Santa why, he belted out, Ho, ho, ho! Tell Mrs. Little Stove that when it comes to puppies, palm puppies sometimes fall short of hitting their target. As Pam would say, they're like Coke. You simply got to have the real thing. This is a fun tune I wrote for my honey called Happy Times Baby.
Uh, come in. Good morning, Doctor. Thanks for seeing me. No problem at all. Do you have a seat? Um, I... I hope you don't mind my asking, but when you came in the door and sat in the couch, you seemed tentative about touching the door, the doorknob, and even my couch. Why? Well, um, I, um... Do you think I, they are unclean? No, Doctor, not at all. Is there another reason? Yes, Doctor, there is. It's all part of my terrible curse. A terrible curse, really? Can you elaborate on why you believe you are cursed? Recently, I've become terrified of shapes. Any shape? You know, like circles. So pretty standard types of shapes. Yes. Really? I've been doing this for almost 40 years, and that is the first time I've ever heard of this type of phobia. My, my. You learn something new in this field every day. So I guess you were never a square, huh? What? Ah, uh, I'm sorry. It was just my lame attempt at a joke. We hippies call conservative people squares. I guess... That's what I get for trying to make a joke using outdated terminology. You left out the humor as well. Um, well, sometimes humor can put a person at ease. Um, it does not seem to work with you. Subject lacks sense of humor? Well, why did you write that? I have, or had, a wonderful sense of humor before my trouble started. Merely an observation. I am not intending to make light of your situation or your feelings, so please do go on. Shapes. What happens when you think of shapes? <laughs> It's pure torture every day. Shapes every day. Everywhere I look, shapes, 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 and more shapes. There, there, man. Of course, it must be terrible. You must go through hell with all the shapes in the world. Let me offer you some tissues. Ah, rectangle. Oh, my mistake. Uh, just put it on the table. Ah, square. Uh, drop it on the carpet. Ah, oval. There, now, I have them. Well, we really do have a problem with shapes. My word. Yes, doctor, it's a nightmare. Well, let's try and experiment. I will draw some other shapes and we will see if your reaction is uniform, okay? Yes, doctor. Here is a pentagon. Ah, pentagon! Here is a parallelogram. Ah, parallelogram! This one is a triangle. No, I'm fine. Aha, it is not uniform. You are not scared of a triangle, even though it is a shape. It is? Well, of course. Triangle is a shape. Ah, triangle! Well, so much for that theory. Apparently so. Well, Mr. Axis, I see a road full of very long and very expensive treatments before we find the root cause of your problem. I just want to get better, doctor. Of course you do. Until then, try to avoid shapes as much as possible, and here's a prescription to calm me down. I will write you a note for work and ask them to help you avoid shapes at all costs. Uh, by the way, what do you do for a living? I teach high school geometry. Oh, dear. From the unpublished manuscript of John Samuel Heasley, a poem titled The Rain. The rain, a furious stampede of million pitter-patters tapping on my roof. The wind, a howling train bearing down upon my window, making them rattle and shake. A flash of light blinds my unsuspecting eyes, and what was dark before now becomes darker. We love our parents. We know we can't kill them. So that's why we write comedy. KB Cabaret presents The Dysfunctionals.
was fun. I love superhero movies. Always saving the world. Can you imagine if Ma had a superhero for a son? No. <laughs> Just think. Superboy and Ma in the kitchen talking. Where are you going? To save the world! Not without your sweater, dear. I don't want you to catch cold. I have superpowers, Ma. I won't catch cold. Well, you're not leaving without this sweater. All right. All right. Where is this saving taking place anyway? In the Middle East. I have to stop the fighting. Why do you always have to stop anything? The war is going on nicely without you, thank you very much. You don't need to put yourself in the middle of other people's fights. But that's what I do, Mom. <sighs> Look, do your classrooms go to the Middle East? Do their parents let them out in the middle of the night to fight fights? No, but they're not... Uh-huh, so why should I let you do this? It's a school night. You need to be up early in the morning. Ma, saving the world is my calling. Molly, Schmolly, you know who you should be calling? That nice girl, Lois, who's in your homeroom. Uh, I like Lois, but... But what? She's pretty. She's nice. She's available. What more is there? Unless... Unless what? Well, unless, you know. Huh? Are you... Are you into boys, dear? What? No! I mean, why do you even ask? Well, you know, the tights. Ma, please. I really need to go. Go? Go. But first, you must eat. I already ate. Ate what? That candy bar? It's a power bar, Ma. A power bar is not a meal. I made a nice brisket and green beans. Ma. Sit down. I need to... Sit down. The war can wait. A growing boy needs nourishment. I gotta fly, Ma. Dinner will keep. Fine. Call me when you get there. Call ya? Come on, Ma. What? Is it so much to ask for you to call your old mother who is worried sick for her son? All right. I'll find a phone. Thank you. That's a good boy. One more thing. Yes, Ma. Could you pick up a pound of baba ganoush and a half a dozen pita at the market? I'll give you some money. So our saga ends again for now, but join us next time for The Dysfunctionals. Everybody gets their just desserts. What does that mean? It means I ate the pie my wife was saving for my mother-in-law. What's wrong, Monty? That's my mother. She's old and has nothing to do. Well, why doesn't she go out and seek adventure? Carrie, she's so old that going into the next room it is an adventure. I bet you have to think twice before you leave your wife alone at night. I'll say. First, I have to think up a reason for going out. Second, I have to think up a reason as why she can't go with me. And now, winter.
We'll close this week's show with a song I wrote based on a holiday tradition my husband and I have on Christmas Eve. It's called This Is Our Time. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Folks, that's all for today's show of KB Cabaret. Starring Kate Murray, Judy McMahon, 
Molly Murray, Charles Berman, Pete Bowers, John Carey, John Montgomery, Bill Murray, and me, Bree Harvey. Original skits by Bree Harvey, Kate and Bill Murray, Charles Berman, Pete Bowers, John Carey, and John Montgomery. Original music by Bree Harvey. Musical arrangements by Christina Donella. Our sound engineer is Charles Berman. Assistant sound engineer, Valentine Terrell Monfiuga. We had a grand old time here at Parlor City with our friends here and where you are. Next week, we will start our communicating all over again with crazy antics, short stories, skits, songs, and, if we get Beulah up, her recipes. Please visit our website at kbcabaret.com. That's K-B-K-A-B-A-R-E-T dot com to find her recipes, our sponsors, and contest entry rules for poetry and short stories. Why should we be the only ones who write? That's right. We want to hear from you and your talented ways. When we choose the pieces you have written, read it on air as well as print it on our website. The hardworking, fun-loving folks here at Parlor City say there are no goodbyes, only farewells. And above all, come and visit next week, same time, same station, at KB Cabaret. Thank you for coming, coming to stay a while. Thank you for coming to spend some time. Love to have you and share our parlor city. Come back again now to KB Cabaret.